Well, good morning. No, you didn't accidentally walk into a magic show. And no, I'm not getting my preaching style from Carrot Top. I will explain these later. First, before we do anything, there's two people that I want to ask if they would stand. Everybody else can stay seated. But we have two people that are here celebrating 30 years of their marriage. And they got married here, so they wanted to come here and kind of share those feelings with everybody. So I'm going to ask, would Elsie and Diane stand? All right, 30 years. Thank you for allowing us to join in that celebration, so that's awesome. Um, now I'm going to have everybody else stand up, and I'm going to read this morning's text. It's in Matthew 5. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount in this series. Um, our verse for this morning is actually 48, but we're going to start in verse 43. It's going to be up on the screen. It says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And then the text for this morning, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, may your word be a lamp to our feet. May it light our path. May we hide your words in our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to continue to let go of ourselves and follow Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So the title of the message this morning, the topic that we're going to be parked at for our time together is the word perfect. What comes to mind when we think of the word perfect? What images come to mind? I think that often image or appearance has a lot to do with how we think of the word perfection, right? We, perfection is always in, in the eye of the beholder. It's kind of like beauty. So we tend to set our expectations on perfections based on our own standards, or our own preferences. That's, that's why we have that term that gets used a lot more now, now that we have social media, is image crafting. We're trying to, to craft the perfect image for our lives, right? So if I'm going to preach on perfection, I was trying to figure out, like, what would the perfect pastor look like as he preaches about perfection? I thought maybe it would be something like this. Maybe I would go old school, do the shirt and tie, get the robe out. Then I thought, maybe that's not old school enough. Maybe I'll go even further back. Maybe, I'll, maybe me and Rich, we should start wearing robes and let our beards grow out, really take, take ownership of our position as a priest and as a prophet. Or maybe I should get with the times a little bit, right? Maybe I should be a little more trendy. Maybe if I'm going to preach on perfection, I should look like this. Hillary's in kids' ministry. She was in here this morning for the first service. Uh, she can vouch, I will never wear a shirt that low. That's just not, that's not me. I pretty much just dress like this or a t-shirt. So, But you get the idea, right? There, we, we craft our images and kind of present our idea of perfection. The same thing with art. We have an idea of what is perfect art. Maybe for some people, it's the Sistine chapter, Chapel. It's it's perfection. It takes hours and hours, and we, we paint, and it, we have this perfect image in the style that we prefer. For me, 
maybe my idea of perfect art is actually this. So the, the painting on the left is one of my wife Hillary's paintings. And then the drawing on the right, that's my daughter Isla that made some flowers. The one in the middle is me. That's my art skills. No, that's, that's our son Parker, but he's, he's almost passed me up when it comes to, to the art of the pen. But so that, that's my idea of perfect art because there's sentimentality in that, right? There's, there's like emotion, there's affection in that. So that's what my idea of perfection is. The bottom line is, and those are all jokes, and jokes aside, the idea, the real idea of perfection, like we read this morning, like the idea that we can be perfect, that is, that is huge. That, that's an impossibility, honestly, in most of our contexts. When we think about being perfect, none of us can be perfect. That, that's why oftentimes our favorite phrase when it comes to the word perfect is, hey, it's okay, nobody's perfect right? But that's supposed to make us feel better, but if we're, if we're being real, do we really believe that? Do we really act like perfection isn't the bar that we set for ourselves or we set for each other? Do we not deep down set a level of expectations that mirrors perfection in the way that we try to live or the way we wanna, want others in our lives to live? My parenting strategy, it needs to be perfect. The bar has been set. My work ethic at my job has to be perfect. My philosophy, perfect. My cheesecake recipe, perfect. Everything, the bar is set at perfection. Whether it's for me or whether it's for who I'm involved with in my life or whether it's the people that I see on TV, it's like, oh, they're, they're not measuring up to my idea of perfect. We craft an image of what perfection is. We, we've twisted this idea of perfection so much that honestly, the most, most people when they use the word perfection, it's in the language that I am most fluent in, sarcasm. It's, well, isn't this just perfect? Wow, that was perfect. You spilled all over the kitchen floor? Perfect. It, it's, we don't use perfect as something to ascribe to or to try to, a bar to try to set. We just use it sarcastically in passing because we don't think anybody really truly can be perfect. Because why? Perfection is heavy. Perfection's like, like a burdensome weight that just keeps holding us down, keeps us grinding, keeps us always feeling like we're never good enough. We could always be better. We could always go a little further. And we see on the surface of what we just read this morning from Matthew 5, Jesus sets that same expectation. Jesus' words. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. You're welcome. Before we unpack that, before we really dive in to this perfection that we're called to, can we do a little bit of a rewind, back up a little bit, talk about where we're at in this passage, what we've been talking about the last couple weeks? In the broader context, this is a sermon from Jesus where he is just redefining all expectations. He's, he's redefining what it means to be religious, what it means to, to know God, what it means to, to seek after God. We saw it in the first sermon of our series when the, with the Beatitudes. He, he literally rewrote what it means to be blessed and then what those blessings are that we receive in return. Contrast after contrast. He says there's the law then there's me. Then there's this new law. And then Zach touched on it last week. 
lust, envy, murder, divorce, oaths, revenge, so on and so forth. Jesus is setting a new expectation for those who are seeking after God. He even redefines love like we read in the few verses prior to our main verse. You're not just supposed to love your neighbors. You're not just supposed to love your family. You're supposed to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus was leveling the playing field. He was making sure that whoever heard those words, whoever reads these words, knows that there's an expectation, and that expectation is for everybody. Leading up to that statement on perfection, what Jesus is doing here and what he continues to do after that verse is he's redefining what it means to obey God. It wasn't just following a list of rules or the broken interpretations of it that the religious leaders had. It was about the heart of the one that was obedient. Jesus is showing them that it's not perfectly following the letter of the law, but it's about the heart of the laws. If we're using the law, if we're using our instructions to kind of build separation between us and others, then we're missing the point. We're misinterpreting why the law is there in the first place. We're supposed to be growing into somebody that God is calling us to be. So let's look at the audience. Let's look at who Jesus has been talking to. I think that if we, we start to understand who we're talking about, maybe the idea of perfection will just become a little bit more attainable. This isn't a conversation that Jesus is having with his in-crowd. This isn't just a few people. This isn't even just his disciples. So his disciples are there, his closest, his closest 12. And then there are the religious leaders. There are, there are the skeptics. There are those who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the like, those who are, who are very skeptical of Jesus because he's saying a lot of things that don't match up with their law. And then there was everybody else. There were just the crowds of people noticing that something about Jesus was different. Noticing something about God that they had never seen before in the life of Jesus. So basically, it's just a block party of people groups. It's everybody. And when you think about the other people in the crowd, when you think about those who are just kind of trying to get a peek at what Jesus is about, they're, they're trying to sort through all of the texts of old and the stories of old, the rumors, the radicals, the traditions, the expectations. They're trying to sift through all of this stuff because what they're doing is they're trying to figure out how they can get rid of their imperfections. Because all that's happened in their life so far is people telling them that they're not good enough, that they'll never be enough. That's, that's everybody. That's all of us. Have we not all struggled with that same conclusion, that same temptation? So to the bags. So we had the disciples. The disciples, they had a bag full of experiences with Jesus that, was, that they were carrying with them on the journey. They, they saw the miracles. They heard the words of Jesus so far. So they were, they were kind of hoping that all of their experience and all of their time with Jesus, that was going to be what made them perfect. That was going to bring about perfection. And then you had the religious leaders. You had those who not only followed the law to the T, they wrote the law, they decided to draw the boxes, and then they checked the boxes. So in their mind, if everybody else would just follow their law, 
follow all of their religious practices and rules that they had set, if everybody carried that with them, then things would be perfect. And then you had the crowds. You had us. You had the people that were trying to figure out who this Jesus was. And they, they, they were just outweighed by everything. They knew that they couldn't be with Jesus because of who they were. And they also didn't know the law. They didn't have the in to be with the religious leaders. They had all of their doubts. They had all their fears. They had all their anxieties. They had all of their stuff. And they were just trying to keep up. They were just trying to make sure that at least they were in the back row to see Jesus and see what he was all about. There's one more commonality that's important to remember with all of the people in this scene. They all considered each other the enemy. Our devotional this week goes into deeper detail about that, so I encourage you to check that out on our app, but the, the disciples saw the Pharisees as the enemy, and the Pharisees saw the disciples as the enemy, and the crowds saw themselves as the enemy, or they saw the other two groups. So everybody saw themselves as an enemy and saw the other group as an enemy. That's why what Jesus said before he said that we all need to be perfect is so important, because he, he levels that playing field again. He makes sure that everybody knows that if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to know God and know who he's like, you're going to have to love those you consider enemies. And what happens when we love our enemies? We recognize that they're not enemies at all. We recognize that they're just a fellow image bearer. They're a fellow brother and sister. Jesus had to set that last expectation before he came out with the be perfect as your father is perfect because we need to love as God loves. We'll continue on that more, but just remember that everyone wanted to know at this point in Jesus' message what it meant to be in with God. And the answers that Jesus is ultimately giving here, it's not a missing ingredient. It's not some sort of divine shifting, sifting. It's, it's not something just for the haves and not the have-nots. It's not magic that you learn or you earn. It's, it's not victory over enemies like we just said, it's an invitation. It's not a command, it's an invitation. It's an adoption for a completely new path, a complete new family. It's a new calling that's birthed by one thing, built on one thing, nourished, nurtured by one thing, and that's God's perfect love. It doesn't say to remember anything perfectly, recite anything perfectly. It doesn't say defend or define. It doesn't say make someone else perfect. It doesn't say make all your stuff perfect. It says be perfect. Be perfect. That verse says be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And maybe, hopefully for some of you, that reminds you of the Old Testament when Jesus was calling his people to be holy, he would say, be holy, therefore, as your heavenly Father is holy. So G what Jesus is doing, he's trying to do what God has been trying to do all along, is draw his people to be like him, to make his people holy and whole. 
See, holiness in the Old Testament and perfection in the New Testament, they're the same. Jesus is calling his people, calling people who want to follow him and who want to know God to be holy. Now, if I was a perfect pastor, I probably would have had all of this broken down into like multiple, multiple slides and you would have multiple fill in the blanks and I'd make a fun acronym that everybody likes to have. I am not that perfect pastor. So I have one point, just one thing that hopefully we'll be able to break down and encapsulate what this idea of perfection is. And it's this, perfection, it's not faith alone. Perfection is not works alone. Perfection is in Christ alone. At least it's catchy. I think it's catchy. If we believe this, though, if we believe that, it's, it's not about just receiving a gift. It's not just adopting a belief. It's, it's being adopted. It's not earning a blessing. It's not unlocking some type of an experience with God. It's a new identity. It's a new path. And friends, if we want to embrace that identity, the point of this morning, if we want to embrace what it means to be adopted into the family of God, there needs to be an exchange. Jesus, in his message, he explains that the new kingdom is going to operate with everything being new. Everything is being made new. We see that throughout his sermon, over and over and over. Jesus goes, you have heard it said, but new systems, new interpretations, new expectations, new priorities, all wrapped up in this new identity, this new adopted identity that Jesus is now offering everybody for the very first time. Everybody is receiving an equal invitation. But there are catches. What do we know about adoption? If you have a perfect home, if you have a stable home, if you have everything you need, you don't need to be adopted, right? You wouldn't need a new home. You wouldn't need a new family. You wouldn't need a new start. Also, if you were adopted, that doesn't mean that you kind of go into your new home for a little bit, get a feel for things, but then take all your stuff with you and then go live out on your own, right? When you're adopted, you're a part of that family. And adoption goes far beyond a name change. It's not just changing your last name. It's changing your identity. It's changing your trajectory oftentimes. It's embracing a new loyalty. So what we need to recognize is that there is a reason why we today need to be adopted into the family of God. We must realize that we can't just, just bring all of this baggage, bring all of our belongings, all of our stuff from our old life with us and just sort of rubber stamp Jesus' name on it and then continue on our own way. Because once we start to let go, once we start to follow the path that Jesus has for us, that's when we start to feel it. We, we start to see, we start, we start to change. We start to belong. Every step we take towards belonging with God, belonging in Christ, is a narrowing path to a deeper love. 
See, Jesus, he, he's looking at the crowds as he's teaching. And he's seeing all of their stuff. Everything in their life just weighing them down. No matter what group they were in. He gives them an invitation. He makes them an offer. He says, you let go of everything that you're carrying. And I'll trade it for my life. I'll trade it for my word. I'll, I'll trade it for my spirit. He says, I will give all of me, but in exchange, you have to give up all of you that you're trying to carry. That's what it means to live in that unending, un everlasting love of God, that adoption into the family of God. Another key, key identifier to understand what this word perfect means, what perfection means, um, that there's a theologian, Mildred Wincup, she says it best, I think, when holiness and love are put together, the analogy of two sides of a coin would be closer to the truth because love is the inner character of holiness and holiness does not exist apart from love. So in a certain sense, she says, they can be said to be the same thing. So again, that holiness in the Old Testament, that perfection in the New Testament, they're the same word. And that word is love, that real, pure love that only comes from God, only comes from our adoption into the family of God. So in other words, we cannot be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect unless we're walking in that love, walking with Jesus. So what do we do with all this stuff, right? All this stuff weighing us down. My wife, Hillary, she just did a, her first, or her longest, not her first, but her longest backpacking trip this last week. Uh, she survived, which is good, because, you know, don't really want to do things without her, but she made it. Um, but hiking 50 miles in the wilderness, you don't take a bunch of stuff with you unless you know you're going to need it, right? You're not bringing your whole wardrobe you're not bringing a TV along with you. Anything that you need for the journey, you have to carry with you on your back. So you're not bringing a bunch of access stuff, right? You're only bringing what you need for the journey of where you want to go. Think about that through the lens of our lives, our spiritual journeys. Our lives are continually moving, right? We're always going somewhere. We're always making decisions. Our lives are on some path. And as we walk the path of our lives, it becomes really easy to start to accumulate a lot of stuff. Whether that's hurt, whether that's baggage, whether that's experiences, whether that's the things that we think we need to do things ourselves. So we're just constantly carrying all of our stuff with us. And then if there are any gamers out there, then there are side quests in life where you can get even more stuff. Find even more stuff that you want. So before you know it, you're so weighed down and you're following your own path for so long, you have nowhere to go. And you don't know how to even move. You can't move because of all of your stuff. That's when we become one of two things. We either become prideful and resentful. We say, I don't need Christ. I don't need God because I have all my stuff. I can make it on my own. I can conquer this life. Or 
you become so weighed down by everything that you just cripple under your own expectations. You just think, I just can't make it. I will never make it. I will never get out of this. I can never move forward. And then to make it worse, what do we know about life? Life is full of voices that keep whispering, all you need is just a little bit more stuff. Then, then you'll make it. Or you just got to go a little bit further, just a little bit further on your own. You can do this. You can own this. You can define perfection. All the while, what happens? Jesus patiently, in his love and his grace for us, he waits. He's just waiting for us to let go, waiting for us to stop searching and follow him. Once we leave our stuff, once we embrace our adoption, that's when we are changed. Perfection, holiness, it's a heart that is full of the love of God. It's a continual journey. It's a pathway. And if we continue on that pathway, we need grace through faith. We need salvation. We need to accept that Christ paid it all. We need each other. We need our brothers and sisters. We need support. We need help. But I think what we need the most, what I need the most, most often to get me on that path with Christ is just to get rid of my stuff. It's just to let go of my desires, let go of my belongings, let go of my burdens. When that happens, then I can be restored, I can be reset, I can be put back on that pathway that is walking in step with Jesus. This, this surrender, this act of shedding weight, letting go, it, that's part of this season of Lent. It's an invitation for us all to do an inventory of our hearts. As we walk the pathway of perfection, what belongings are keeping you from belonging? What belongings are keeping you from feeling that sense of belonging? Because that's what we all want, right? We don't want success for the sake of success. We want to belong. We don't want family for the sake of family or for what it might look like, we ultimately want family because we want to belong. We all have a born and created desire to belong. So what do we have to let go of? Maybe like the crowds, maybe it's hatred. Maybe it's letting go of an enemy. Maybe it's pride, greed, selfishness, envy, unforgiveness, regret, hurt, fear. Our time of Lent, this time of letting go, it's not just to check off a box. It's not to fit in. It's not to feel cool. It's not to get something out of the deal. It's not to, to trade one unnecessary thing for another unnecessary thing. Us giving something up, us letting go, is so that we can deepen our capacity for God's love. Deepen our trust in Jesus so we can follow him. So what needs to be extracted from my life, from our lives, so we can lose some of that weight, 
so we can maybe put some of these belongings behind us and not look back so that we can see where we belong in God's story. That is really, really hard. That takes time. And, and God is just standing there with patience and with grace, and he's just letting us empty out our bags of stuff. He's letting us get rid of all of our belongings and willing to take whatever they might be and trade them in for his life, trading them in for adoption into the family of God. And he's patient with us. His grace is sufficient to wait as we one step at a time let go. For Paul, a while back we did a couple series on Paul and his story. For Paul, we know that he was Saul, right? Paul was Saul, the persecutor of Christians. Saul, the one who hated Christ. He did not get the patience that me and you have the benefit of. When God wanted to change Paul's life, everybody's awake. He said, you're not Saul anymore. He said, you're Paul. You don't have enemies anymore. You only have my love. There is a new identity, an instant new name, an instant adoption into the family of God. And then Paul writes some of the most important words for us to understand what it means to be perfect. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. We know this is the love chapter. It's used a lot in weddings, but I think sometimes we start a little too late in the chapter. Because if you start right at the beginning of chapter 13, you recognize that the church in Corinth is dealing with some of the same stuff that we're dealing with, trying to find where we fit in, trying to find how we can experience God. So Paul says this. He says, If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and if I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. For love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Then he says this, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, or maybe when perfection comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now in, I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And then he says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. See, perfection, the bar that's been set, it's not, it's not a long rule book. 
It's, it's not a quick fix either. It's not a show. It's, it's not anything other than a pathway, an identity in Christ. Perfection is what we call in the church, it's called sanctification. It's a holiness. It's deciding that we are going to go beyond faith that Jesus exists into a surrendering my life to experience Jesus, to live in Jesus, to feel the power of the love of God in me and through me. And when we surrender, when we come to that place where we can let go of our stuff, that's, that's when our belief becomes even stronger. That's, that's when that commandment to live out the love of God and love of others becomes more clearly understood. That great commission to go and to teach and to preach and to baptize and to, to lead people to Jesus, it makes sense because now we're experiencing what it means to live in that love that we've been yearning for our entire lives. And then as the church, as the community, as the body of Christ, as Zach talked last week, as we're confessing to one another, as we're supporting and encouraging one another, we recognize the power of God that can work through his church. So then we knock down the walls, we knock down the barriers, we no longer consider anyone as the church the enemy, but instead it's an opportunity for us to share in that love that we are now experiencing because we know that we can rely on God's love through Christ and Christ alone. And when the fruit of the church becomes, becomes so nourishing to the community around us, when Jesus' followers actually look like they're following Jesus, it doesn't matter what the pharaohs of today are saying or trying to lobby for power. It doesn't matter what the Pharisees are saying that are trying to critique everything that Christians do and find the hypocrisies and, and poke holes in our faith. Everything that they say doesn't matter because you can see, you can visibly see Jesus living in and through the church. That's the perfection that Jesus is inviting us into. We can live in the kingdom of heaven now. We can live fully aware, acting as the presence of Jesus. This doesn't happen, though, with just a blind faith. It doesn't happen with one decision. It's not a heartless action. It happens when we abide in Christ. That's why Hannah read that text this morning about what it means to abide in Christ. We produce fruit when we are rooted and planted in the life and teaching and love of Jesus. That's how we find our identity. We can't just grab and take from the tree of Jesus. We can't just pull fruit off of somebody else. We need to produce fruit, but in order to do that, we need to let go. We need to be rooted, planted in Jesus, in God's perfect love together. Um, there's a song that I really like, and especially this one lyric. It's not like a praise and worship song, but the, the lyric is, there's nothing you keep, there's only a reflection. And it's kind of this self-reflection of a song. It's kind of like, who am I? But it's, there's nothing you keep. None of this stuff matters. It's only a reflection. I think that that, that to me is a gift from God. That, that is how, when I read those words from Paul, that's what I see. It's our reflection that matters. It's when people look at me, and when I look at you, are we seeing Christ? Are we seeing the love of God? Are we expressing the love of God? because we're told to reflect the love of Christ. 
we all have that opportunity to be the perfect image of God. Not by anything that we earn, not by anything that we've inherited, but only in our reflection of God's love. I'm going to ask if the worship team would come up. And then we're going to sing this song as we close. You can sing the song, you can read the lyrics, you can come up and pray, you can pray where you're seated, but let's just meditate on the words of this song because I feel like it really encapsulates what this means to let go and to have that change of identity. What it looks like to have the power of Jesus' love not just sanctify our stuff, but to actually give us a new identity. So that way when we're searching, when we're on that path trying to find contentment, trying to find purpose, we're not searching for holy ground anymore. But when we embrace our adoption in the family of God, it's we that become holy ground. We get to be holy ground. Let's sing together. the
Like we said at the start, if we focus on our ideas of perfection, with all the cultural baggage, we're going to collapse under the pressure of expectations that we were never meant to carry. We can get caught up in all the ways that we fall short. But Jesus' words here, although they're not always easy, are really, really simple. Perfection is a call. Perfection is a simple invitation to just let go of what we're carrying around and experience his love. Allowing the Holy Spirit to create a new image, one that we don't have to craft, one that we don't have to put together and hold together, but in how we love each other, how we love God, how we love ourselves, how we know and understand and appreciate what really matters, that's when change happens. So during the season of Lent, as we continue this, this journey towards Easter, this journey towards resurrection, let's just let go. Let go of our obsession with perfect actions, perfect experiences, perfect enemies. Just pick up that call to love. There's a poem from John Wesley. I quoted him earlier. This poem to me, it just kind of screams what Lent is all about. What it means to let go of all those belongings and finally belong to God. It says, oh, grant that nothing in my soul may dwell but thy pure love alone. Oh, may thy love possess me whole, my joy, my treasure, and my crown. Strange fires far from my heart remove. May my every act, word, and thought be love. Would you stand as we pray? Father, would you search our hearts, search my heart. 
Help us to recognize what we need to let go of. Even if it's just one thing that just makes our lives a little lighter. Lord, if there's hatred in our hearts, if there's, if there's feelings of resentment, if there are enemies still taking up residence in our heart, take that away. Lead us to a, lead us to a, a, a maturity, a confidence in your love that we can let go of what others are doing. Let go of what others have done and live in perfect love. Maybe for some, Lord, it's a path. Maybe for some, it's a decision. It's a passion. It's something that we really, really, really want to do. But in that desire, we're losing our identity. May your grace, may your spirit help us to just let go. Maybe for some it's an insecurity. Maybe for some they always have felt like they're in that back row, always the last person in the crowd just trying to get a glimpse of your love. That's the case, Father. Open up our awareness, open up our hearts, and help us to see that your love is sufficient for us. There is a place in your family your desire is that all of us would be adopted, that all of us would take on a new name, that all of us would embrace your family crest that is perfect love. Lord, help us to let go. Help us to hold things so lightly in our hands that we can receive what you truly want to give us. May we let go of control, knowing that you're with us every step of the way. Remind us that this perfection that you call us to is not something that you would call us to unless you know fully well that we would, we would be able to experience it, that that would be a bar that we would be able to reach, but only if we allow ourselves to be rooted in the vine that is Jesus. Search us, Lord. Purify us. May we come together as your body. May we come together as brothers and sisters and encourage one another and carry one another with your love for us. And as we march towards the cross, as we journey towards Resurrection Sunday, Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would just continue to help us acknowledge how amazing that grace is that we've been given given in our past, given in our present, always in front of us in the future. Keep our eyes on you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. We hope to see you next week. Shake a few hands, say hi, greet one another, and we'll see you next week. God bless.